What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the K-Lot Podcast on SportsTalkPhilly.com. I'm Denny Basins, joined by Tim Kelly. How are you doing today? Denny, I'm stoked for the Eagles to head out west uh, for a couple weeks and begin with what I'm dubbing the Marcus Smith Bowl. Oh, boy, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting out in Seattle there. you got both Marcus Smith and Deion Jordan, a couple of failed first-round defensive ends that they're managing to resuscitate. But uh, Also uh, joining us, Tucker Bagley. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited for these next few weeks out on the West Coast. You know, after four straight weeks of, of big blowouts and, and games against teams who proved to be inferior, it'll be nice to see uh, the Eagles go up go up against a stiff test in the Seahawks and Rams. Yeah, Tucker, definitely this is uh, the time of the year where we're really going to get a, a good idea of just how good this Eagles team is, and that, and that's not to take away from what they've been doing so far, but. I mean, there's the games against the Seattle Seahawks and St. Louis Rams definitely carry a lot more weight than uh, matchups against the likes of teams like the 49ers and Chicago Bears. But uh, I'm still hoping the blowouts will continue. Uh, I, I love seeing Nick Foles in the fourth quarter of every week. Uh, I, I hope that streak continues. But now, guys, um, the Eagles, uh, again, just been on such a dominant role as of late. Uh, you look at what they've accomplished over um, – over the last seven weeks this offense has put up 30 or more points in six of the last seven and the one time they didn't put up 30 points exactly they still managed 28 against Carolina and defensively they've held opponents to 10 points or less in three of the last four uh, guys at 10 and one this without question is the most dominant Eagles team that we've seen since the 2004 year and and I think I think we're at the point now where I mean, it's 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 time to really look at those two teams and compare the two of them because I think it's 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 so rare, guys, that you see a, a team that that makes it to ten and one at this point in the year. I mean, regardless of who you've played, uh, ten and one is so hard to do in the NFL with all the parity that exists in, in the league. And so now, now, guys, let's let's look at the uh, the 2017 Eagles and compare them to the 2004 squad that wouldn't go on to make the Super Bowl and lose to the New England Patriots, but it, that was still a very special season. Um, and just a, a, an, out, an output that, much like this year, just week to week, the Eagles had orderly wins, blowouts. Uh, they, they were unquestionably the, the best team, and certainly in the NFC that year. And uh, and and uh, it, it's, it's looking very much like a similar situation with the Eagles dominating the NFC and the Patriots out in the AFC. But, you know, guys, so... Tim, we'll start with you. 2004, 2017, uh, which is the better team? Why or why not? I think a few weeks ago, I thought this was like a really stupid discussion. But the more that they've won the last few weeks, I think the more it's become at least a fair discussion to have. I think you actually do have a more well-rounded offensive group of skill position players on this team. Uh, With that said, though, as much as I like Zach Ertz and, you know, the trio and quartet if you include Kenyon Barner running backs that they have right now I think it would be difficult to turn on the idea of having Brian Westbrook and T.O. as the two best players on your offense Uh, I might take the 2004 weapons even though they're probably a little bit more top heavy in that case if Jason Peters was healthy I think I'd probably take this year's offensive line nearly every player on the line this year Brandon Brooks Stefan Wisniewski and Lane Johnson are having career years Jason Kelsey's playing the best he has in years 
And, you know, this isn't anti-McNabb slander. I think Wentz's upside is higher, and I think he may be having the best individual season that an Eagles quarterback has ever had. Certainly, statistically, I think that's what will be uh, what we'll see at the end of this year. I think the biggest thing that sets the 2004 team apart, in my mind, is that they had made the playoffs four consecutive seasons prior to 2004, and they'd played in, played in the NFC title game three straight years. And not only from a player standpoint, but from even with how little adjustments I think we all felt Andy Reid made, uh, you, you can't replace that experience factor. Yeah, Tim, and you know, one of the things that I really think makes the 2004 team so special is that uh, everyone expected the 2004 Eagles to be that good, and they delivered. And it's it's really hard to it's really hard when you're a team with that much talent, that much hype around you going into a season to live up to it. And the 2004 team was one of those teams that was able to accomplish that. So that's a really, I mean, that's that's a really unique factor in itself, which is which is kind of why I like I might I I'm still not quite ready to say that 2017 is a is a better group than 2004 yet, but I'll, I'll get into more of that in a little bit. But Tucker, uh, what about you, 2004 or 2017? Yeah, Danny, like you just alluded to, I have a hard time putting this team ahead of a team that went to a Super Bowl in, in 2004. I just feel like their their veteran core um, makes that team just a little bit easier to bet on. Um, but, I mean, looking at the stats, comparing the two teams, um, the 2017 team really ranks out better. Than, than the 2004 team. You know, the Eagles currently have the number one scoring offense and the number three scoring defense. They had the eighth-ranked offense in 2004. Their defense was ranked second. Um, but, I mean, just across the board, it seems like this team's been dominating their opponents to a higher degree than, than 2004. And, and I mean, maybe you can take into account that, that the team in 2004 was playing a first-place schedule, whereas the Eagles now are, are playing, playing a uh, third-place schedule. So maybe the Eagles have had a bit of an easier road to ten and one than than their counterparts in two thousand four, um, but but as of right now, I just have a hard time putting putting a team that that's only ten and one that still has yet to make it to the playoffs or or make any noise in January ahead of a team that that made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Tucker, I really I do agree with a lot of that because it. Is because again, that playoff football in January—it's an entirely different animal than what you're looking at in the regular season, and and that, that's going to be well. Really, the next great test is going to be the the two games out west over these next two weeks. But really, when we uh, when we see the Eagles host the, their first playoff game in January, and we see how much of a difference there is in the level of play from. Carson Wentz and these other guys from regular season to postseason. I mean, that'll that, that'll really clear a lot of things up for us. But when I look at the two teams, I mean, I see I, I think Carson Wentz is playing at a higher level than Donovan McNabb was during that 2004 regular season. Uh, I think I don't I I think the Eagles' primary skill position weapons, uh, Brian Westbrook and Terrell Owens, uh, obviously much better than any individual player on the current team but the Eagles the Eagles today are a much deeper group than what they had in 2004 I mean if Alshon Jeffries your number one and you have guys like uh Torrey Smith Mac Hollins and Nelson Aguilar uh, working alongside him I mean those are much better complementary pieces than you know, Todd Pinkson and uh 
Freddie Mitchell, uh, with, with all respect, to his uh, fourth and twenty six mm-hmm. twenty six <laughs> catch in uh, back in two thousand three. But um, but yeah, I mean two thousand four. Like it, the bottom line, guys, is the the playoff experience and the uh, the the fact that they were actually able to live live up to those expectations is what sets them apart from from me from this this year's team. But now, guys, let's get into our fast three. Three questions for each of our guests. Tim, first one's for you. Uh, over the last week, there were some reports that came out that said uh, Brandon Graham may be the next Eagle that's in line for a contract extension. Um, it, if that's the case, if they do extend him, Tim, is, would that be the right move, or is it a mistake to keep pumping money into the defensive line? It's rather ironic this rumor came out the week before the Eagles played against Earl Thomas, but... I. I think in this case, it actually does make sense. You have Derek Barnett, who's going to be cheap. You have Fletcher Cox locked up. You have Timmy Jernigan locked up. Uh, So you have that. And then you can get out of Vinnie Curry's deal at the end of this year for, I mean, it is going to be $6 million in dead cap, which isn't a small amount. But you can get out of that if you want to. So Brandon Graham is a captain of this team, and you've built something special, not only because of how the team's playing, but because... You seem to have revived the idea of culture and the idea of having a team where every guy loves each other. And Brandon Graham's a captain. And you might not have Jason Peters next year. You might have not have Darren Sproles next year. You want to kind of keep together the leadership. And not that Brandon Graham's not going to be here next year. But moving forward, you want to keep that together. And Brandon Graham's still productive. So, yes, I think that makes sense. Yeah, from my from my perspective, Tim. I mean, the only thing it is it is an awful lot of money. I mean, because like you said, even if they can get out of Vinnie Curry's deal after next year, I mean that that's six million. Like it's nothing to sneeze at, especially when you've got uh, so, like so many other needs to to fill. I mean, it it'd be it'd be a tough pill for me to swallow to have six million in dead money on the salary cap next year and. But Brandon Graham, to me, if they're able to do it in a way where maybe they can they can adjust his cap number for next year and make it a little smaller to help fit some other things in, then I think it makes more sense then. But uh, to me, I mean, I get, it's just tough to imagine so many guys with, with all the all these high contract numbers on the defensive line. I mean, especially when you just spent a first round pick on Derek Barnett and. Uh, I, th- I think it's tougher to have him in a part-time role. I mean, I, I want to see more of him as it stands, and and even uh, even Vinny Curry. I mean, like I know he's not putting up the sack numbers that everyone has wanted him to, but I mean, I think he's improved considerably against the run. And I mean, he's been a he's been a solid contributor to the defense himself. So, uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it it all it all depends on what the contract numbers for Graham would actually be. I, I think, and I think the key would be to get his figure down a little bit for next year. But now, Tucker, over to you. Um, the one, the one, possibly like the only little bit of negative news that's come out in the Eagles for uh, quite a while now has been Jay Ajayi's little spat with the uh, Philadelphia media. I and mean, there, there was some based on an interview he gave in the locker room after Sunday's game. Uh, some people got the sense that he might have been frustrated by only getting five carries in the game against the Bears. Um, Ajayi responded to this by tweeting out a, a little shot at the Philadelphia media, calling them clowns. So, Tucker, my question to you, like, is there anything to the idea that Jay Ajayi is frustrated with his lack of involvement in the offense, or is this being overblown by the uh, the clowns, as Ajayi puts it? Um, I don't know if he's really that frustrated with the amount of touches he's gotten. I mean, it's hard to sit here and speculate. Um, 
I mean, the the media, the beat writers that are there every day in the locker room talking to him would certainly have a better idea than than any of us. Um, but I, th- I think, you know, he really did not play well on Sunday. I think maybe part of his frustration was just his frustration with his poor performance. You know, he had negative rushing yards going into his final carry when he picked up 30. And he ended up fumbling on that carry anyway. And luckily, Nelson Aguilar landed on it for, for a touchdown. So I would like to think that, that his frustration was just him uh, angry at himself for not performing well. And I think this is probably the first time in his life, in his football career, that he's had to deal with a really big media contingent. You know, this is a kid who he didn't play big-time college football. He went to Boise State. He played in Miami. Um, I think this is probably all new to him. He's not used to having this kind of microscope on him. So I think he'll he'll definitely learn. And if this is really a uh, an issue with him him getting his touches and him not thinking he's being utilized enough, the Eagles didn't really pay that high of a price for him. So if he's being more harmful than than good with the Eagles locker room, then you know it wouldn't be too much for Howie Roseman to to kick him to the curb. Yeah, Tucker, I, I think it, I don't think right now it's something to get too overly concerned about, but I do think it's something worth monitoring because you know part of the reason that the Miami Dolphins were willing to part with Jay Ajayi was because, I mean, there was some talk that he he was a bit of a problem down there and he kind of wore out his welcome with Adam Gase and and they they kind of viewed it as an addition by subtraction type of thing. But, but, I mean, but regardless, I mean, I think think it is, for the moment, at least a little overblown, um, but it is something worth keeping an eye on as the, the rest of the season plays out. But now, Tim, back over to you. Uh, uh, stepping away from the Eagles for a second, one of the uh, major bits of news that came out around the NFL this week is the fact that the New York Giants have gone and benched uh, Eli Manning for the likes of Geno Smith. Like, keep in mind, not e- not even Davis Webb, their their rookie uh, third rounder that that may or may not have some upside for the long term. But Geno Smith, like a a guy who has failed on multiple multiple opportunities that he's had to establish himself as a, a starting quarterback. Uh, I mean, were, like, were you surprised to hear that Eli was benched for Gino? And, and do you, and do you think that uh, like, this is without a doubt, like probably the beginning of the end for Ben McAdoo, if, if that wasn't already the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the beginning of the end happened for Ben McAdoo about the time that Odell Beckham went out for the season. Denny, I, I've never been a big Eli Manning guy. I think Tony Romo had a better career. I think Philip Rivers by a pretty large margin has had a better career. So the idea to me that Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer has always been silly. And I actually thought Geno Smith was a bit better than he played with the Jets. And he was a product of a situation where you had a coaching staff that was great at coaching defense and the opposite at coaching offense. With all that said, though, this doesn't make sense to me. Geno Smith is not going to be your long-term answer at quarterback. So this just reeks of desperation and is probably more likely to lose whatever members of the locker room were still behind McAdoo than give your 2-9 and nine team a spark that does what like i i don't know what they think it's going to do at this point other than ruin their chances of getting in good draft position to take another quarterback to take a lineman to take saquon barkley whoever and i, I mean i think at the end of this season uh ben mcadoo and general manager jerry reese are out this may not be a team that takes a, a ton of time to turn around because you still have odell beckham sterling shepherd you have landon cons you have some talent in the secondary so uh, 
that part may be fixable. But these two have bungled this situation so badly this year, I think, to the point of no return. And frankly, I don't know what Eli Manning's future is there. I'm not sure it isn't time for those two sides to kind of go in their different direction. This was not the way to do it. If they do decide that in the offseason, now, it wouldn't be shocking to me if Eli ends up where his brother finished in Denver. Yeah, Tim, I I completely agree with you there. I mean, I I think that uh, Eli Manning, for all his faults, I know, I know his play has slipped a little bit. He he, the Giants organization as a whole may not view him as their long term uh, solution at quarterback anymore. But uh, the simple fact of the matter is, the guy did win the organization two Super Bowls, and I think that alone to treat him in this manner is just uh incredibly disrespectful uh, and you know what i mean and regardless of whether or not they they have something to gain by playing geno smith or davis webb i mean eli manning had done enough for that team where he had earned the right to you know, be the starting quarterback as long as long as long as he wants to be and and at least for this at least this season anyway and to me uh, if i if i'm in charge of the giants uh Ben McAdoo making this decision, I, I I would just fire him on the spot, but but maybe uh but maybe maybe uh at this point the organization's just content to let McAdoo ride out the rest of the season and they they figure you know what he he's screwed up everything so much to this point uh just let him keep going and get the Giants as close to Saquon Barkley or whoever they target with the top pick as possible. But now Tucker, over to you. Uh, over the over the last month, Tucker, which team's meltdown has been more surprising, the Dallas Cowboys or the Kansas City Chiefs? Um, I would say the Chiefs. I think the Cowboys' downfall or meltdown, you sort of saw coming. I think we all expected once uh, Ezekiel Elliott's suspension was upheld that they would take a step back, and I think the injuries to, to Tyron Smith and Sean Lee certainly compounded that. Um, so I don't think there's really anything surprising with how that team has played. Um, but, but with the Chiefs, it, it really has been shocking. I mean, they started the year as the best team of football. They were 5-0. and They beat the Patriots in Foxborough. They knocked off the Eagles, um, which certainly looked like another huge feather in their cap and, and, and still is. Um, but it's amazing because Alex Smith is still putting up half-decent numbers, but they're just falling apart, and they can't seem to, to find a win or put it all together um, in any given week. Yeah, you know, I would say Kansas City is the more surprising of the two, but if not for the fact that you know, like I, I've seen Andy Reid, some of the what, some of the way his teams with the Eagles, especially in his later years, have performed, and and you know, it's it's all kind of the same things. You know, Andy gets away from the run. I mean, the offense comes out flat. I mean, they they just start underachieving. They're not ready to play. I mean, it's all it all has all the hallmarks of uh, some of the some of the late Eagles teams, probably from uh, 2011 and onward. And and so so in that sense, the uh, collapse by the Chiefs isn't that surprising to me. Uh, Dallas, like you said, Tucker, uh, I think the biggest mistake they made was trying to trying as hard as they did to fight the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. I mean, they they would have been much better off. Uh, riding out those first six games of the year without him if he had come back when the suspension was originally supposed to end he would have been a huge boost for that team moving forward and would have improved their odds in the wild card uh, race tremendously but instead they they started out the year slow and then had him taken away and then 
and then uh, it, it just been all downhill from there. But now, guys, uh, third question, same for both of you. When when you guys look at the potential wild card teams in the NFC, the Carolinas, the Seattle's, the Atlanta's, uh, which of the which of those three teams would present the scariest matchup in your mind in the playoffs? Uh, Tim, we'll get your take first. I have to say, even more than those three teams, had the Green Bay Packers somehow squeezed into the playoffs and gotten Aaron Rodgers back, they may have been the scariest just because of his individual greatness, how well we've seen him play late in seasons and into the early portion of the playoffs in his career. However, though, that that appears pretty unlikely to happen. They weren't able to pull out that game on Sunday Night Football last week, which kind of needed or they kind of needed to have happen uh, if they were going to do that. So of those three teams, Carolina, just they, they do not scare me. I know they're eight and three, but the Eagles handled them. And that was before they really hit their stride. As we'll get into in a little bit, Seattle, I don't think matches up especially well with the Eagles. So of those three teams, the defending NFC champion Falcons to me do. Julio Jones quietly continues to play at a Hall of Fame pace. Antonio Brown has been otherworldly the last few weeks, but so has Julio Jones. And I think he's gotten uh, overshadowed in that case. Uh, They obviously would be less scary in Philadelphia than if they had home field advantage like they did last year and were able to play in Atlanta. But if they get Devontae Freeman back, they get him going, they have that two-headed monster uh, at the running back position, they're a scary offense. So I think of those teams, they scare me the most, but none of those teams alarm me in the same way. I I think New Orleans is really the team that, of any team in the NFC, uh, scares me the most. Tucker, what about you? Yeah, I think I... uh... Of those three teams, and like Tim said, the Eagles really handled Carolina um, earlier in the season. I, I really don't think they, they scare me. The things that they do well, the Eagles match up well with defensively. Um, Seattle will be an interesting test. Um, if it weren't for the injuries to Richard Sherman and Camp Chancellor, maybe I would be more worried about that team. But I just think without those guys at the back end of their defense, um, that really just changes their identity. Um, and offensively, you know, they have Doug Baldwin, and, and that's really it. He doesn't scare me. And I think the the Eagles' defensive line are going to be chasing chasing Russell Wilson for for thirty minutes on on Sunday night. So I mean, of those three, I would I would agree with Tim that that Atlanta is probably the scariest. Um, Julio Jones is is a matchup nightmare for any cornerback, and uh, I just think Matt Ryan is probably the best quarterback of those three teams. And, you know, if you you have a franchise quarterback like that, he could get hot. He could do some otherworldly things like we saw last year and, and kind of put the team on his back and, and, and beat the Eagles sort of on his own. Yeah, guys, I kind of agree with both of you. Carolina, to me, is a team that, uh, as you guys both mentioned, Eagles already handled kind of earlier in the year. Now, if Carolina were to meet the Eagles again the Panthers would have to come to Philadelphia and I think that's a huge advantage for the Eagles uh, on top of a matchup that already favors them Uh, Atlanta Atlanta is the team that would worry me just because we've seen uh, I mean that offense really all season like hasn't quite clicked at the level that it did a year ago but it over the last couple weeks it's begun to show signs of coming out of that funk and if Matt Ryan is clicking with a with, with Julio Jones and his other weapons, and they get Devonta Freeman back, and Tevin Coleman is very much capable of playing at a high level on his own, uh, Atlanta is definitely a team to watch out for. 
But now, guys, let's get into this weekend's game. Eagles begin their difficult West Coast trip with a visit to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, guys, this was a game that uh, back when the schedule first came out, it was one of two games that I just kind of wrote off as it, it'd be an automatic loss. It'd be the type of situation where the Eagles were just walking into a buzzsaw and yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really have much expectations for this, but uh, obviously things have changed quite a bit since then. Uh, the Eagles are coming into this game with ten wins. Uh, I certainly didn't expect that, and uh, Seattle Seahawks are going into this game pretty banged up. I, I mean, uh, there's no Cam Chancellor, there's no Richard Sherman. Those are two huge parts of their defense. I mean that. Uh, that completely it completely flips their uh, defensive backfield situation around where with uh, the possibility of Richard Sherman just kind of taking uh, Alshon Jeffrey out of the game instead Alshon gets a, a matchup against Byron Maxwell who was on the streets just a few weeks ago and uh, and also Seattle they're a team where um, they've gone this year like as far as Russell Wilson's been able to take them he certainly has played at a high level all year long but uh, really lacking in the running game. So in that sense, the offense can kind of be one-dimensional, but Wilson's play has kind of masked a lot of their flaws. But guys, what do you think about this matchup, and what do you expect to have play out? Uh, Tucker, uh, we'll get your take first. Yeah, like you said, this game coming into the year, you kind of almost chalked it up to a loss just because going across country, playing Seattle in Seattle is, is always a difficult task. They've been they've been probably the NFC East premier or NFC's premier team for the last last five years. But now just looking at it, they've lost their last two home games against the Redskins and the Falcons, granted by by three points each. Um, and and I think I think they're just sort of falling apart with without Richard Sherman, without Cam Chancellor. Um, Cliff Averill was another player um, on their defense who's gone. And and just looking at their team, I think I think Russell Wilson um, continues to be underrated. I think he's probably one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. It's just he has no talent on his offensive line or, or just on that offense in general. You know, their their leading rusher this year is him. He has two hundred more rushing yards than anyone else on their team. Um, so I think the Eagles match up well with with the Seahawks. I think I think the defensive line will be able to torment Wilson. I think. I think the offense should be able to to run the ball against Seattle. I think Carson Wentz, as long as he doesn't get greedy and try and try and push the ball down the field and challenge Earl Thomas deep, that seems to be where where the Seahawks remain strong. Um, if the Eagles play it smart, they should be able to win. I think they're a better team than Seattle, but it's just hard going across country. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost this game. I would say this is probably the hardest game left on their schedule. Um, but I still think the Eagles are the better team and, and should come out ahead. Tim, what about you? What are your thoughts? I actually think going to Los Angeles next week will probably be the most difficult game. The Seahawks don't match up especially well with the Eagles, which is strange, Daddy, because like you said at the beginning of the season, this was just kind of an automatic loss. The Eagles were embarrassed in Seattle a year ago. That was everyone. Carson Wentz played one of the poorest games of his career. 
but this year, I think the, the Seahawks offensive line has a chance to get torn apart by this Eagles defensive line. They haven't consistently gotten, gotten a running game going. And like you said, while they saw Bobby Wagner and Old Thomas, who are superstars defensively, they're missing Cam Chancellor. They're mi- missing Richard Sherman. They might have Byron Maxwell back, but this is not the lead in a boom anymore that they're playing against. What I fear in this game is it becomes, you, you get one or two games every year that are kind of the stupid 20 to 14 type games where a few trick plays, punt returns, those type of things decided kind of like that game in San Francisco the Eagles had in uh, Chip Kelly's second year. It scares me a little bit that Tyler Lockett somehow pulls out this game for Seattle, that it becomes one of those games where they lull you to sleep and you wake up halfway through the fourth quarter and the Eagles are losing the game. My guess, though, is that the Eagles win this game and win it fairly comfortably, kind of in the same way they won against the Panthers. Yeah, Tim, I I agree with your take there. I think that this is I think that for the Eagles, like I I think for them this is an opportunity to uh, really establish their dominance over the NFC. I mean, so far they've been checking all the boxes along the way. I mean, they've been blowing out the teams they've been supposed to blow out. They've they've gone undefeated in the division, undefeated in the conference, but I mean, the Seahawks now, like when you when you talk about uh, this game, uh, this situation, uh, this is an opportunity to to go out to Seattle and uh, really really establish themselves as like hey you know the you know, time to take the torch away from a team that's dominated the NFC over the last five years, and and now you get the Seahawks. I mean, the one thing that I, I would I would keep in mind is that Seattle, with some of the losses that they've taken in the last few weeks, I mean they're really falling behind in the playoff race. I mean, so they really don't have much of a a margin for error left. So to me, like I think uh, Seattle, like at home, yeah, you're going to get. Uh, probably one of the best shots that they have left at this point. But the problem being is you know, with the injuries that they've sustained on the defensive side of the ball and the issues that they have on the offensive line in the running game, I think as badly as Seattle needs this game, like, and as much as they may want to win it, they just might, I just don't think they quite have the firepower to overcome an Eagles team. That's, uh, just clicking on all cylinders, playing at such a high level in all phases of the game. Uh, th- this is a game, guys, where I, I, I'm I'm going with the Eagles. And I'm expecting them to come out, win fairly comfortably again, not necessarily blowout fashion, but um, uh, more than more than two scores. But that's going to do it for us this week on the KLOP Podcast. For Tim Kelly and Tucker Bagley, I'm Denny Basins. We thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you all next week.